Hey everybody, welcome to the show today. We are having an episode about scarcity. I hope you're enjoying these pandemic episodes. I'm not making them scarce. I'm trying to crank them out as fast as possible to get you guys all the information that I possibly can to get you thinking, to give you a, a you know, a sense of a semblance of understanding and and control over this situation and beyond it. And I hope you are enjoying these. If you are, uh, you know, I know everyone's hitting you up for Patreon and that sort of thing. It's great if you can do that for the artists uh, that you like. But uh, a, a lot of people are stretched thin out there. There's plenty of free ways that you can support Number one, tell everyone you can about this podcast. That would be terrific. That's all, guys. I, I just, if you can, if you can share with people, if you can retweet any of the times I post or share on Facebook when I post about it or make your own posts, anything like that, that you can do. Um, that would just mean, mean the world to me. And I hope that you're checking out the, the new YouTube channel. I'm brand new to posting these on YouTube. So I hope that you get a chance to maybe give it a thumbs up, maybe a positive comment, maybe share that. That would really, really help me out. It's going to take a little while to get the ball rolling with, uh, with the YouTube stuff. I can't think of, um, more important information. Um, than having these types of discussions. And I hope that I'm making them fun for you as well. And we're having some laughs along the way. Thanks for all the wonderful comments and, uh, and emails and everything else so far. And, uh, you guys are great. I hope you're safe out there. I hope you are well in body, mind, spirit, and all of the other things, bank accounts, all of, all of the things. I hope all the things are the best they can possibly be in such trying times. Thank you so much for listening. I am grateful to all of you. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. We have another special pandemic edition for you. If you're new to the show, my name is Shane Moss. I've been a touring comedian for 16 years, back when live entertainment was still a thing. And I, the last five and a half years of my career, in my in my stand-up travels, I've been asking, uh, I've been looking up scientists in a bunch of different fields and asking them about their work. I just started doing these, uh, these remote podcasts because um, uh, now everyone's hunkered down for a while and, uh, and this is, uh, uh, this is, uh, the most, uh, interesting and scary and bizarre thing that I, I've experienced in my lifetime. And, uh, and I, I think also the best time to learn and hear about science and as many different takes from as many different fields from science as possible so that people can understand that um, even within this one issue that everyone is having to go through, there are um, a zillion different aspects of research that have something to say 
that can help us understand and, and hopefully uh, potentially better our lives and help us all through this and prepare for the future as well. So with that in mind, today I'm talking with Caroline Rue, who is Associate Professor of Marketing at Concordia University, and she is the Concordia University Research Chair in the Psychology of Scarcity. Uh, hey, Caroline, how are Hi, you? Hi, Shane. I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. So this is, um, you know, there's there's uh, uh, not there's not enough um, interviews going on right now with with scarcity researchers. So I would think that that <laughs> makes this podcast really valuable. Exactly. <laughs> am yes. I, am I right. Absolutely. That's definitely one of the effects of scarcity. <laughs> so and and what better time? For Americans, certainly, uh, to have a conversation um, about about scarcity and the the many um, uh, the the many effects of it and the influences in our lives, um, I would love if you would introduce yourself a, a little more in in terms of kind of your background and maybe just a little more in depth of uh, of what you do. Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but... Uh, <laughs> All the way. Where were you born? <laughs> I'm actually uh, from a small town in the province of Quebec of Canada called Trois-Rivières. Um, okay, did you like preschool? How was kindergarten for you? <laughs> <laughs> very scarce, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm from a uh, very blue-collar, lower-middle-class family. Um, me too. First, yeah, first in the family to ever done, like, uh, university education and actually education. Uh, and I think that actually all set me up in some way to uh, be interested in scarcity. Um, so at some point in my PhD, I actually ended up at Northwestern at the Kellogg School of Management. Uh, and it was interesting because it was during the 2000, it was in the aftermath of the 2008 recession um, mm. in the US. Uh, and so that was part of a lot of the uh, things on my mind as like soon to be freshly minted PhD students going on the job market, how that would impact a bit uh, my career, but also seeing it you know, on my friends, my family, again, being from a blue collar environment, how all of these things impacted um, their lives, uh, which is why as a PhD student, I started getting really interested uh, in that topic, uh, which there seemed to be some zeitgeist at the moment too, because I, then I learned about a few other groups of researchers that were also all kind of at the same time started looking into this. Um, and my main uh, angle, I guess, on the topic is more what's called like a scarcity mindset. So um, when you go about life and you feel like you don't have enough or you think about not having enough. Uh, so while well, these days it's pretty, uh, exacerbated but uh before all this if you still can remember what life was before this uh a lot of the common thoughts that people might have had about scarcity were things like uh, feeling like you don't have enough money feeling like you don't have enough time there's not enough food in the fridge and enough clothes to dress you up for work and things like that uh, which might seem very mundane but had interestingly a lot of big impacts on uh behavior and thoughts and all these kinds of things mm -hmm. Um, and what I found particularly interesting with this topic is that it's something that, from what I've seen, uh, is goes across like income spectrum or uh, social economic background or social class. Um, because as much as like poverty, obviously, is a very strong instance of scarcity, and it's what we call objective 
experiences of scarcity. Uh, you see also a lot of articles out there of people like, how can you live with $500,000 a year? And how can you make yeah. do with these kinds of salaries? Uh, and even like, uh, I remember when I started working on the topic, I stumbled upon an article in The Guardian about bankers in London complaining that a one million pound a year salary was not enough to yeah. maintain the expected lifestyle. And so it's, it's right. been interesting to study because it's something that anybody can relate to in terms of the topic, especially more these days. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, um, the, the, it, it seems, it seems like there's uh, no matter what you, uh, no matter where you are in life, there's, there's going to be that nagging feeling of it's never enough. And, and there, there are a lot of people that are, um, that are, um, you know, very well off financially, but, but maybe feel as if they have zero free time. Yes. Um, you know, there's certainly a, a whole lot more people that aren't well off and don't feel like they have free time as yes. well. But, but, um, but scarcity, it, it doesn't, it, um, uh, you, you know, wh whether, um, whether you feel, I, I'm not, I'm not asking anyone to feel bad for, uh, you know, complaining about only having three boats rather than their friends <laughs> with four, but but uh, but the the psychological um, kind of mechanisms yeah. that make people feel this way and register this are there no matter what your situation is in life. Exactly. Yes. Um, so my listeners, my my long term listeners have heard this story before. <laughs> I've talked about this on stage before, and. Um, and, but I, I, I think with these, these new episodes and, and just starting to do these on, I'm putting them on YouTube and doing video for the first time, I might have some new listeners. So I'll share a fun story about scarcity uh, and, and my life and, and just how silly um, uh, scarcity can, can be. So I used to have, oh man, I, I wonder if I have one around. Ah, I can't. So anyway, uh, comedians often have to sell a bunch of silly merch. Um, uh, you know, they have a bunch of different merchandise. Like I have, I have like, uh, um, here we are keychains that I sell <laughs> and stuff like that. Right. So I used to, uh, it, it's, you don't, you don't get into comedy to, for the merch, but then you get into comedy and you're like, Oh, how do you make a living doing comedy? And you got to peddle a whole bunch of garbage that no one needs. So uh, one of the things that I, uh, earlier on in my career, when I was a bigger drinker, I started selling these plastic beer mustaches. There are these little plastic mustaches that clipped onto beer bottles. You drink the beer. Hey, you got a mustache. Isn't that fun? And, um, and so, you know, I saw the, and oh, people just loved these plastic beer mustaches. It was a nice way of, of me being able to uh, make some extra money, pay for my travel costs, everything else. And so, <clears throat> you know, I used a variety of, of techniques to, to sell these um, mustaches. One was, you know, they were, it was like one for five, or there's like eight different colors. So a lot of variety there, that's yeah. good. That's gonna catch the eye afterwards. You know, if, if it's all just black and or pink or whatever, people already have the idea. They're not going to stop by the merch table to see. Um, but so I'd have eight different colors and then, you know, I got a deal for you. You know, they're five each or they're they're three for ten dollars or eight for twenty dollars. What a bargain. You can get the whole set 
for just twenty dollars. That's all the beer mustaches you're ever gonna need. Actually, that's not true because you lose them in about two minutes. But um, <laughs> but uh, so I got these eight different colors, and and if you're gonna get into the beer mustache game, what you're gonna find out in a hurry is that is that the uh, blacks are gonna be the top seller, followed closely by pink. And then after that, there, it's a mixed bag, you know, it just depends on where you are. If you're in Florida, maybe you can sell some more orange ones, you know, stuff like that. And, and I could do things, I could say things like that to prime people. I could uh, mention the local sports team or a holiday coming. Christmas is coming. Get a red and a green one. Fourth of July is around the corner. Get a blue and red one. Is what, yeah. uh, stuff like that. This is how embarrassing it is being a professional comedian. And, um, and so, so anyhow, what happens is, is then you find out, you know, you buy these things in bulk and then one day you find yourself sitting on like a huge bag of purple beer mustaches because no one's buying these damn purple beer mustaches for whatever reason. You haven't been in a place where their sports team has a purple color or whatever. And so then you find yourself in a, in a situation in life where, uh, because you wanted to do what you love for a living, uh, now you find no money in your bank account and all of your assets are tied up in plastic purple beer mustaches that no one wants to buy. Well, how do you get rid of these things? That's the puzzle. And fortunately, I knew about this law of scarcity stuff. And so here's what I did. So I have um, like a little, almost like a little... Um, uh, you know, like organizational, like little plastic tackle box or something like that, uh, separating each of the colors. So I put the purple ones in the middle. So it'd be like kind of the center of the tension. Okay, that's nice. But, but then what I really did is there's like 20, 20 mustaches in each little compartment. Uh, and so what I do is I just take most of them out of the purple compartment and there'd only be like two or three left and I'd have the rest in my pocket ready to replenish. <laughs> and oh my God, people just, as I'm sure Caroline, you could predict, yes. people needed these purple beer mustaches so bad. Fighting over these purple beer mustaches as if they were toilet paper in a, an apocalypse that it doesn't make you shit more, but you still need toilet paper for whatever reason you're thinking. Uh, and they they started, they started, uh, now, now here's my favorite part of this is I also, I also know a little bit, I have a passing understanding of, of the difference between, um, you know, what, what drives people in people's conscious, uh, uh, people's conscious interpretations and stories they tell themselves mm. about why they make the choices they make. And so after they'd buy a purple beer mustache, I would always ask people, hey, why'd you buy that purple beer mustache? Knowing damn well why they bought it. And, and they, it was never like, I, I mean, I may, maybe some people were like, well, I wanted to get it before they ran out. Or I, I don't think I ever heard that, though. Mm. Um, uh, uh, the, the stories that I heard a lot were like, well, purple's always been my favorite color or it's my daughter's favorite color or my first <laughs> car was purple or, uh, you know, it, it was it was like, I know that's not why you but I haven't sold one of these things in three months. Now they're flying off the shelves. And, uh, and 
I know why you bought it. It's because I tricked you. I primed you into buying that. That's why you buy it. Consciousness is much the story that we tell ourselves yeah. um, about why we do things after the fact um, to kind of justify our underlying hidden mechanisms. And I swear the story's almost over. And then you get to talk <laughs> through the whole rest of the episode. Um, and and, the, and the, the other fun thing about it was is that when people hear this, they're like, oh, well, I'm smarter than that, or that's dumb people or something like that. And this is not really a smart or dumb thing. Uh, I, I, mean, I mean, you can be equipped with knowledge that can help you make better choices, sure. But especially when it comes to something as frivolous as picking what color beer mustache when you're really just kind of trying to support the live entertainer and you don't really give a shit about this thing anyway and you don't know what color you want. Um, it, it's not a smarter or dumb thing. The, uh, the only different smart people would buy just as many purple beer mustaches. It's just that they had more fanciful stories of why they bought that purple beer mustache. Well, uh, you know, purple used to be a very expensive dye to make back in ancient times. And, and therefore it was rare and purple was associated with royalty and wealth and that is why I bought the purple beer mustache. <laughs> and, and so uh, another lesson in that story is you can, always, you can always tell how smart a person is by the sophistication of the lie they tell themselves. Um, so with that in mind, I think that that sets up the idea that every single person is susceptible to these laws of scarcity, no matter who you are, and no matter what the stakes are. Oh, it's funny that you mentioned the, the toilet paper stuff, because it's also up here in Canada, like toilet paper, wipes, yeah. hand sanitizers, and all these things. Um, and I I've also been, like that you're like, can I talk now? No, I'm just saying I'm also one of those people <laughs> oh, yeah. that has been susceptible to this, <laughs> funnily fine. enough, uh, because, yeah. um, like you're mentioning the toilet paper particularly, and like I've been studying scarcity for almost 10 years now. Yeah. Uh, like I'm very well aware of all the effects, very well aware of all the phenomena, but la the first time I went to the grocery store and saw those empty shelves, I had to like hold myself back so hard on that primal response of <laughs> need to hoard all the things, uh, even though I know that that's, that's what's going to happen and I'm smarter than this and I know this topic and I can study it. Uh, but I have to admit, like I did the first run in the grocery store and then I did the second one where I put back stuff on the shelves where I, when I was able to cool down and be like, wait a minute, do you really need like dried beans? Uh, right. No, you don't. Uh, but it's, it's, like, it's as powerful that even like as a scarcity researcher, I still like fall prey to these things. I think I just realize it quickly, more quickly, I guess, and don't justify, <laughs> don't try to justify the behavior. Uh, but it, yeah, everybody can experience this yeah i mean this is the importance of learning some of this stuff for the general um popular just just for an individual maybe tuning in and hearing about scarcity for the first time this is you can just think about this in terms of the realm of mindfulness this is just one more thing um that you know you can learn about yourself of the of, of kind of those hidden underlying things that are hard to be one, you aren't aware of it first, and then when you become aware of them, it takes a little while to then turn that into a habit where you have the reaction, and then hopefully if you're mindful, you have the information, and you're building the habit of enacting that information. Yeah. You can create space be between the time that 
you're you're primed or or you're in that situation and triggered by that environmental situation and acting on it you can create because because it, if if this is if this is an autonomic response you know where you're not thinking about it at all that priming can create just enough it's not going to be perfect but you can get just enough space in there to maybe second guess yourself to maybe take a moment to breathe and think it through i mean that's the tricky thing is like we also don't have the resources to do that with every dried bean decision yeah, <laughs> in and our it's life. especially more difficult i think these days just because there's so many types of scarcity coming and crashing on us all at the same time in the sense that like if you go to the store you might see the empty shelves uh, and then you look at the news and people are losing jobs or uh, wondering about their economic security. And then like, there's all these bigger news about like greatest economic recession since the Great Depression. Uh, and then some people are like, but what about climate change? Because like suddenly, like obviously this took all a big backseat. But there's all these like different layers of scarcity that you keep getting bombarded with uh, in your daily life, through the news, through talking with people. And so it's even, I think, harder to manage because it's so constant and so like high level of threat and multiple dimensions hmm so I have a really I good question for I'm, I'm not sure that we're there yet well so so my so my question that I eventually want to get to anyway is how what can people look for in terms of how do we trust the wisdom of the masses and how do we run from it? I, I've, I've spent a lifetime running the opposite direction of every popular thing that there is. Take sports, take organized religion, take any like popular band, movie, you know. Like I, I just, my rule of thumb is if it's popular, run. Um, but but I, that, that imposes costs as well. And I'm, I'm wrong just as many times as someone that is blindly following the crowd everywhere, you know? And so, so how, how do you know when, you know, when you see the, the hand sanitizer on the shelf um, going scarce and like, oh crap, I better get all of that hand sanitizer. But then you also see like, there's a shortage on waste baskets for whatever reason. And you go like, oh man, do we need more waste baskets all of a sudden? Jeez, I better stock up on, on waste baskets. How can people, you know, discern what what cues what what of those scarcity cues are valid? Yeah, it's it's a hard one to decide, especially these days because like the times feel very uncertain. Like it's not the usual like doomsday prep situation, like when you know there's a hurricane coming, a tornado or something like that, or snowstorm, I guess, up north where I am, um, where you know it's going to last like a couple of days to a week. That's all, you have, that's all you need to survive. Hopefully there won't be any power outage, and then you move on kind of thing. In this case, it all started, but we don't know when it's going to end. So estimating how much you need, how, not, how long you're going to need it is very um, difficult to begin with. But I think so. I think there's a few ways, to keep, a few things to keep in mind. So first of all, like, I think the media has been trying really hard from what I've seen recently, like uh, posting articles about the fact that even if shelves are empty, like supplies are still there. It's just that because people are hoarding, restocking yeah, has been yeah. very difficult. Um, and so if there was a way Wow. To <laughs> if at the end of the day, the news turns around their outlook and has a look <laughs> inward at their ethics and, and uh, their ratings driven 
alarmist scare tactics of just like showing nothing but empty shelves and not and not showing all of the instances of the places where the shelves are exactly. plenty full um that that would be that would make for uh the a, a world being the greatest but and, and that's that's not even a you know it's not a conspiratorial thing it's no. just it's just the news giving people what they want which is people people well, love i mean a good it's scare. more interesting to look and post about like empty shelves and like look my store is well stocked than the run-of-the-mill everyday situation <laughs> yeah uh, um, yeah we're not going to hear a lot of no news stories of like um, six billion people didn't get Corona today. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, and so, so I think that's one of the things that we have to keep in mind. So as long as like the supply chain is doing okay, which seems to have been doing okay so far for now, um, I do think that like all this uh, hoarding craziness is not something that's like useful just because products are still there, availability um, is still there. But also something that we need to remind ourselves is that even though it's hard to estimate how much we need, we have to remember that if we keep it all for ourselves and we're preventing others from getting it. And coronavirus is a social disease in the sense that you have to have several people in the room or several contacts to get it. So if you hoard all the hand sanitizers, then other people that will touch the door handle or that would deliver your groceries or deliver your food won't be able to sanitize their own hands right. and so you can still get it. And so being able to estimate, and it's, it's hard because our brain is in overdrive right now and we're a little bit in panic mode, but be able to ask yourself, like, how much do I need really, truly by the next week or two? Um, and then remembering that other people also need to have access to these things if they want to be better and so we can be better. Please walk Sparky for me. No way. <laughs> I'll throw in a caramel frappe. Ooh, make it a large. Deal. Get a sweet deal. $2 any size McCafe beverage on the McDonald's app. Between you and me, Sparky, I would have walked you for free. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Offer valid through 4322 or participate in McDonald's. Valid one time per day. McDonald's app download and registration required. Well, I'll tell you, after talking to you, one practice I'm going to stop doing, I'm going to stop taking my um, sanitizer liquid baths that I've been doing every day of filling up an entire <laughs> bathtub of sanitizer, dipping in it, draining it, starting the whole process again, four to five times a day. Uh, upon reflection, I guess that was fairly wasteful and, <laughs> and selfish of, of me. My bad, everybody. Um, so, so I, I guess, I, I mean, and, and some of these things will be like self-correcting in a way because now that everyone has an 80-year supply of toilet paper, you know, now that, uh, I, I mean, it's gonna, I, I, you don't even necessarily need to speculate on on this because it's not terribly related, but, but it's also gonna screw up industries in this oh, weird yeah. way of like toilet paper companies being like, okay, well, we'll just increase demand, but, or we'll just increase supply by 100 and ship 100 times more what we normally would. And then they're just going to be like, okay, I guess we just close our doors after this because well, no hoping, one needs toilet paper again for the next 20 years. <laughs> I'm hoping that they're smart enough to be like, I'm guessing they're smart enough to know that it's a stockpiling. Cause like you see, you see that at a much lower scale when there's like sales promotions and things like that in stores where people yeah. do stockpile a little bit, then it like, it slows down the curve of repurchasing. And so just now like, this is like that on steroids that's going on right now. So I'm hoping that any of the firms right now that are experiencing these like stockpiling craziness are um, business savvy enough to know like to, to 
weather the storm when it's going to come, find a way to take whatever the gains they're making now and be able to sustain when the demand's going to drop pretty drastically afterwards, for sure. Um, one thing I'm thinking about, so in, in terms of this hoarding, mm -hmm. there's all these, there's all these um, stores now doing which seems like the right thing to do and seems like the you know obvious and ethical thing to do which is they're they're now like okay everyone only gets like four cans of chicken broth mm -hmm. or whatever um i don't see any i can't think of any other option than than doing that but at the same time is that triggering more psychological scarcity and then you know is that going to lead to people going in getting four cans of of um of uh pumpkin spice coffee or or milk something yeah why don't i just yeah anyway and then and then going back in or bringing like sup and, and, and now they're like bringing their whole family into the grocery store so that each person can uh can get four tubs of Crisco each. It, the examples are so unnecessary. I'm going to keep on making them anyway, just so everyone can struggle to see me improvise uh, grocery store items. Uh, I haven't been in a grocery store in like 16 years because I live on the road, basically. But uh, so I'm like, what do they have in there? Um, <laughs> so that might be fun for people to watch me struggling. With, what is a grocery? Uh, but the point is, and, and then and then that can cause a problem of now, which people should be sending one person um, to the store. You know, there's there's no point in the whole family going to the grocery store uh, and having a fun, let your kid touch everything um, trip to the grocery store like we used to have. So, uh, so that that's gonna that could cause some problems as well that could cause more of the scarcity anyway yeah i definitely think it could compound compound the effect um because actually it's funny because last week i still go to grocery stores um i'm not that kind of person uh and uh last week actually they, they finally put a uh, two item limit on almost everything in the store in my grocery store because it's a very tiny like neighborhood uh grocery store uh and there were people uh at the cashier next to me that were checking out and they had like I don't know, 12 boxes of pasta or something and they started like getting really angry at the cashier when he said like oh, not only two uh and he was like what do you need 12 boxes anyway and it, again like justification they couldn't really explain it but um it definitely like exacerbated i think the response in terms of aggressivity and like uh yeah in terms of like uh, uh the, the felt sense of like depriving myself from this important resource which by the way anyone out there that like feels like this might be them just the next time you find yourself like arguing with a cashier about like getting your box of pasta instead first picture yourself now spending the next two weeks <laughs> eating the same spite pasta <laughs> day in and day out like oh man i guess i could have just got two other items instead of causing a whole scene in the grocery store over this nauseating meal no, I 100% I agree. Uh, and so, so I do think that, because the thing with scarcity, like scarcity causes a bunch of different things. And the one that we're most familiar with, which is the one you've been referring to, is the increase of value. So when things become scarce, we think they become more valuable. Um, and I do think that at least the limit 
the uh, number of items limit is more effective. And I've seen in other places where they put like a, a price premium on buying more items. So there's this very viral example uh, from Denmark, I think, that I've seen on social media, where uh, basically they show that like buying one bottle of hand sanitizer is like 10 kronas, but if you want to buy the second one, it's like a thousand kronas. Um, and I don't know how effective that is, but I think that in that case, it just restrict resources from people that need it the most in the sense that people that are rich and don't care and really value that resource will still buy it. Uh, mm. But people that cannot afford it are the ones that are going to be truly deprived. So at least the item limit is the same across social class, social economic status and things like that. Um, but it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I actually saw an article online, I think a day or two ago, showing data from the UK where uh, they looked into whether it was true that people, like it was uh, hoarding that was the major problem with the supply issues in the marketplace. And actually what they found is what they call like quote unquote accidental stockpiling is more of a problem. So what they found is that there's only a very small minority of people that actually hoard a lot of products. So those pictures that you saw people at Costco with like 12 cases of toilet paper piled up mm -hmm. in, a, in a cart are very just a small minority. But the main problem that's causing shortage is people buying a few more items every time they go or people going more often than they usually do. So if you have that two item limit, you might go to the grocery twice in a week instead of once. Um, and so it's not that, like you're stockpiling the items more, but your, your purchase cycle is shorter and you buy a little bit more every time. And so if you scale that up on the entire population and it's, that's what most people are doing, then that's actually what's causing uh, a lot of the shortage issues. So it's, I find in a way a bit comforting to know that like most people are not irrational hoarders, but that, that, we all like hoarded little, I guess, just a little bit, just in case. Yeah. Uh, but that this little hoarding that doesn't feel like stockpiling or hoarding behavior, it's like part of what's the problem. So I thought that was mm. pretty interesting. Huh. Yeah, people are going to run out of room in their apartments and stuff. <laughs> too. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, I, I'm curious in terms of... Um, um, th this is... Uh, well, one now well let me get this off my mind because this is such a nonsense thing and and it's a very egocentric um question but i, I think this could be interesting um because we we know uh we both know peter mcgraw mm -hmm. um he, he has a book coming out um uh, next week yeah. stick to business business lessons from the world of of comedy and how it's a lot of like how comedians adapt to things and our divergent thinkers and whatnot. And so we'll be talking about this. And one of the things that, uh, you know, as I'm now going from 95% of my income being live touring to figuring out how to have a digital presence, a thing that I never cared about um, uh, until, oh, I'm from Wisconsin. Did you hear that? I just put in a boat. I just put in a boat in there for you. <laughs> I had not I have, noticed. I, I am French Canadian, so I don't always pick up on these uh, things. Oh, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> it wasn't intentional, but I hope you appreciated it regardless. Um, but uh, but anyway, so I'm like, well, okay. This is people are the most interested in science. I hope um, that that they've ever been in in my lifetime, and this is an opportunity to show people things that are like outside of the regular news cycle and see how, why listening to say a marketing professor uh, has like exceptionally relevant things to say about this, uh, this very, very situation. And it's like this with every field of science, as far as I can tell. I, I don't know what the quantum physics angle on Corona is, but, <laughs> but, uh, but especially the kind of social sciences that I'm used to 
studying on the podcast are are as relevant as they've ever been, if not more so. Um, I'm I'm really I'm trying to release an episode every single day um, to keep people informed and and to crank out content for people. People are hungry for content right now, but at the same time, every single comedian's doing the same thing and doing um, uh, you know. Um, I'll say, uh, like virtual shows of, um, you know, a wide range of quality. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I'm, I'm sure everyone's sitting at home, sure. Hoping to support their, uh, favorite artists and, and people that they like and everything. And everyone's stretched thin. Am I actually doing myself a disservice by working 14 hour days to crank out um, an episode every day and do all these different special episodes? Would it be, would I actually make more money putting less work in and putting less episodes out and just making them seem scarce? Additionally, um, related question, there's things like Patreon, something that I, that I haven't, I, I haven't in my career, I haven't really done much with um, because I just don't like the idea of my content being behind a paywall. I, I want everyone in an ideal world Everyone would be able to get my content that wants it and, and can share it with whomever they want to. And if they have it in their heart to donate or support or spread the word, terrific. But does putting something behind a paywall, does that make it seem precious and, and valuable? Um, uh, so I, I ask you this just because a lot of people's businesses are changing dramatically and a lot of people are going virtually and digitally. So I think the advice that you have for me might be applicable to a lot of people's lives right now. Well, so I have two things about this. Um, so first of all, I think your, your sense of wanting to uh, ramp up, I guess, your productivity uh, is something that we also see actually in our research. Um, so um, as I was mentioning earlier, like uh, scarcity has a lot of different impacts and increasing value is one of them. It's the one that we're most familiar with. Um, but we also find in our work that scarcity is something that may prompt uh, the desire to hoard resources, surprise, surprise, uh, uh, more competitiveness, in some cases, more aggressivity. Uh, we also find ways to make people act more pro-socially if there's something about uh, benefiting the self. So it's kind of a hypocritical, altruistic behavior, but we get people to behave more altruistically. But also one thing that we find because of this competition aspect, um, people experiencing scarcity are also more willing to want to self-improve. So they have a higher desire to self-improve and greater willingness to pay to improve themselves. Uh, and so it's kind of funny that I've been seeing all these articles actually coming out since self-isolation has been starting where people have to, like, it looks like the media has to convince people not to go crazy and side hustle. Like there's all these articles, it's okay not to overwork during the pandemic. Like it's not a normal time. And I find it very interesting that basically like a lot of people feel the need to tell people not to do it because I guess it's scarcity is very ingrained in the sense that um, when you feel like you don't have enough, uh, you want to self-improve partly because you're feeling a bit more competitive. Uh, and as you're saying, like now there's more competition online in terms of like it's an actual competition. It's not just a perception. Uh, and so wanting to perform better than others to stay ahead of the curve. Um, but there's also this aspect in terms of helping you feel better. There's a coping mechanism there too, where um, when things feel scarce, it's a good big hit, not only to your like financial situations or your time or things like that, but also to your own like self image of like who you are as an individual. When you become unemployed, it's a, reshaking in terms of uh, identity for some people or even just like when the business is not as um, 
crazy as usual. And so uh, in terms of re redefining who you are in terms of self-esteem, how you compare to others. Um, and so the side hustle and the self-improvement and the free workouts and all these kind of things that we keep saying um, are not a surprise for me, um, mm. just because we do see that uh, in our data. But what's interesting, I'll be curious to see how much people keep it up and how long they keep it up. Because what we also find in our research is that this desire for self-improvement seems to be more of a quick fix. Like people are looking more for a quick solution to either feel better or feel more competitive or things like that. But when we offer participants options that would take more time and more efforts and things that are more long-term, they're less interested in those. They want the one like the pill that works right away or the app that works right away or the solution that will improve my situation right now, but not necessarily something that I'll have to put a lot of effort over a long mm -hmm. period of time. To truly get better so i'm kind of curious to see if that's going to pan out also in how we see the interests in like i guess like all these uh, self-improvement workouts uh, ebooks online classes and all that kind of stuff that people now are feeling that they have to do because they have all these free time on their hands even though our mind is not really free it's not like we're on vacation for three months mm. um, and so that's going to be interesting in terms of Patreon and putting things behind a paywall or just limiting, I guess, the number of uh, podcasts that you might create. So what I think could be interesting there here is the difference between scarcity and um, deprivation slash restriction, which are slightly two different things, in my opinion, even if the literature hasn't really clarify that so most literature will use like financial deprivation for instance as a synonym for financial scarcity um, but if you look at at least in marketing and psych i would say uh, but if you look at some literature more like in um, political science uh, sociology like they see deprivation as something where you feel that there's a resource that's accessible but someone or something is preventing me from accessing it uh, which is a little bit different than there's not enough for people available or there's limited availability and things like that. So when you know that it exists, but you can't get access to it, uh, I would feel, I believe that, and we don't have data yet that uh, proves that, but I believe that this generates a slightly different response in terms of how people might react to these mm -hmm. things. So I do think that there's a word of caution in terms of how you try to, to, to generate that kind of scarcity. So like I would have been curious if you would have told people with your purple beer mustaches, that you have more in your pockets if they would have felt that like slightly differently, not just in, right. in the matter of saying that knowing that there was supply, right. but knowing that you were preventing them from having access to that supply. Mm -hmm. uh, similarly to uh, in a way, I feel that some of the limits imposed in stores also might prompt that sense of restriction instead of scarcity necessarily. So the empty shelves already prime scarcity, but now that you're imposing the restrictions on top of it, it's another layer uh, that you're adding that like, I know that like, I feel like I need to buy all the toilet paper. I see that there's enough toilet paper for me to buy all the toilet paper that I want, but now you're preventing me from being able to act on that impulse. Mm. Uh, might generate different kind of responses uh, in terms of like more similar, I would think to research on like reactance uh, and restrictions of freedoms and things like mm. that. And I feel that some, to some extent, like maybe not as intense, obviously, but I think that things like Patreon and paywalls and things like that could prompt in that sense that, that it depends how like desperately people they need to have access to your podcast here and now <laughs> or if they for instance would be willing to wait a week to have it for free while Patreon uh, subscriber have it um, before everybody else kind of thing mm -hmm. it's how you play out the restrictions also that would be different mm -hmm. um, but that's uh, I think those are slightly different things and that they, they could compound each other if you put it together in one uh, one context yeah, well, as you say, I'm thinking um, as I'm uh, having to adapt. I, 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 
you know, th this is a lot of stuff that uh, I think a, a lot of uh, a lot of entertainers don't really share their process or like the little tricks that they're using. I have I have found that like if I tell people like uh, in live shows merch tricks that I've used in the past, like making joke, people will like avoid my merch table afterwards. Like, oh God, he's a wizard. He's gonna get us with his with his spells. Um, and and uh, but. I mean, I, I think um, I, I think more importantly, it's it's um, cool when people get to see these things in action and learn how how people what people are actually uh, doing. Um, consider uh, anyway. Uh, so here is my thought. I've been thinking about trying to make these um, a live stream. I'm just like I'm having to catch up with all the all the technical issues and everything related and what the best way to do that and to still have the highest quality and there's compromises here and there. I, I don't know why all this stuff isn't just easier um, than it is, um, but there's a demand for it to be easier now more than ever. So I imagine new, new programs will arise. So say this is a live stream and say that someone can weigh in with their own questions. So I've thought about that and I'm like, well, my ADHD is I, as bad as it's ever been um, right now. I, I'm, I'm finding this to be the case with a lot of people are having attention, the worst attention issues that they've had. They're under stress. They have a zillion things going on. The, the rug just got pulled out from under um, civilization <laughs> and people are kind of scrambling to figure things out. Um, so... I was like, well, I kind of want to limit the number of questions. Maybe I set it up ahead of time and I ask the best questions. But maybe maybe one thing that I could do is I could have a limit on the number of people that could see it live because I simply don't have the cognitive resources to attend to the tens of thousands <laughs> slash a million people that would in an ideal world have a zillion questions for you. You, you know what I mean? How, uh, maybe that would, um, maybe that would make it an aspect of the experience seem a bit more valuable. Yeah. I think framing it in terms of exclusivity rather than restriction is what's mm -hmm. the important thing here. It's like this exclusive access sounds a lot more fun and sexy than saying we'll restrict it to, uh, 20 people, let's say, um, just because I think in one way you're framing more in terms of scarcity, which again will increase the value that people will perceive from that experience versus priming more something that's more about restriction and deprivation, which made people feel like, well, there's like technically no, you don't like have to impose a limit or there's no limit that you need to impose technically. And so why do you feel the need for that restriction? Um, right. and so I, I, I'm also like a marketing professor. So it's all about framing and positioning at the end of the day. Uh, yeah. Is, yeah. And then, and then say if I, you know, say I open it up to like 20, a hundred people, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, then, you know, things, things like this show's about to sell out or something. <laughs> uh, the, those, those are these common, common tricks that we see out there. They, they work really well because yeah. they're triggering this, this scarcity, right? Yeah. So the thing you have to be careful with though, is that there has been some research recently that came out showing that these tricks are 
uh, becoming less effective online, actually. Because um, people are so used to them? Yeah, because they've been overused. Um, like there's a, oh, I can't remember the authors right now, but there's a paper that came out, I think from a bunch of UK researchers that looked into like hotel booking websites, for instance, where you keep seeing like these pop-ups appearing on your screen, like four other people are looking at this room right now, five bookings in the last hours, two rooms left. Uh, and they found that these cues are much less effective uh, and that people now actually having an aversive reaction to them. So, so they had data that they were effective early on and that well, they're less effective. I think they took the assumption that like prior research shows that these kind of cues used oh, to I, work I well, uh, but then in their data, it, they actually found the opposite. Um, so I, mm. if I remember properly, I don't think they did anything longitudinal or anything like that, but they uh, instead looked at um, how effective they are now and are they generating Com these experiments. Compared to not using them. Yes, exactly. Mm. Um, and they found that they were uh, either less effective or like they, that they backfired in some cases. Really? Yeah. Because huh. I think also in some of these cases, there's a believability issue, which you might not have in your case, uh, if it's truly like you have a counter that shows how many spots left over and there's only a few left. Mm -hmm. um, but it, especially for these hotel websites, like especially there's been articles recently, like I think the New York Times published one and the, the behaviorist like showing that uh, they looked into the uh, programming behind these websites and they found that all these pop-ups that you get are actually like random numbers that this website generates as you look. So they're not even like real people right. doing the real thing and so i think consumers trust and believability also went down for these things uh, but it is a word of caution that basically um overusing them i think in especially in the online context has been desensitizing um, consumers quite a bit uh from these things they might I, th I think they're still very effective in uh the real world like we saw in grocery stores and uh pharmacies and things like that uh these days uh but online i think uh because people are so exposed to them on like Amazon and like deal websites, like things like Groupon with the timer countdown and the number left and things like that, that um, their effectiveness seems to be dwindling a little bit. So, hmm. Hmm. That's very interesting. I think I fall for those numbers. <laughs> well, this is worth the cost of admission right now. I'm just now dawning on me how many times I've been like, oh, only two seats left. Crap. Well, you have to remember that a lot of these research, like a lot Sneaky. of these studies are like on average. Now I know how my audience feels when they feel <laughs> as if I've been tricking them. Like, son of a bitch. Uh, but also like a lot of these findings are on average. So on average, they're less yeah. effective on average, but there's still people. I, and I felt prey to these things. Sometimes like when I book hotel room and I have, again, to get the mindful moment where I'm like, American Airlines, I trusted you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They've been playing with your feelings all this time. Ah, son of a gun. Um, so do you have anything to, I, 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 I've talked to, I, I, I've, I've talked, I've talked to enough academics um, in, uh, in my years uh, to know that they're not always the most comfortable uh, with with uh, speculating on on things, but th this seems like a different kind of time, and I I don't think this is the sort of time when anyone's gonna hold you to something that you speculated on once on a uh, goofy comics science podcast. Um, what what do you think in terms of the way the world is changing and um, and kind of the future of after after this happens, um, what what are you 
I'll say this, what are you curious to see? And then, and then what are, what are some of the things that like maybe other people haven't, haven't thought of that, that your lens has made you think about, um, like an easy example, um, in terms of, you know, everyone trying to get fit all of the sudden, which, um, good idea. I guess I'll start a fitness podcast <laughs> as well. Um, and <laughs> listeners no, you, you have to market. if i ever start a fitness podcast please do not please do no not. but you have to market your podcast as a self-improvement experience a way I, to enlighten your mind and improve that's, yourself i mean i believe that it is um just have uh, to make it more explicit yeah yeah um that is that is a good idea um so and then people are going to see this episode and they're going to be like, go oh, Shane, just American airlines dust. Um, so in terms of, so, so I, I'm a man of many vices, um, uh, unapologetic, uh, uh, I've had, I've explored so many vices through the years. I'm I'm sneaking up on like 25 years of just like solid vices. I like to try some out for a while and until I get very destructive and then I'll try a different vice. And, and one of the things um, that I do, I'm I'm not a, I'm not a big spender in terms of uh, like, I I don't have fancy things. I don't have a, I have a, a very modest vehicle that I drive around the country I, I live out of um, inexpensive, uh, as inexpensive Airbnbs as I can. Um, uh, and, but wh- where I splurge is I do eat at, at pretty fancy restaurants. It's a part of, it's a part of, I spend a lot of time by myself. It's a part of my social life. It's a part of my people watching, wanting to go to the nice areas in a given city. It's a part of like my travel adventure. And it just, uh, and there's also something there's something about, it's funny because I almost do it more when I don't have the money to do it, when I'm like the most nervous about like how much money I'm going to make in the next month from shows or whatever. That's when I'm like, you know what? Filet mignon. I'm, I'm doing filet mignon tonight. It's just like, it's like this self-soothing signal of like, well, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> I wouldn't be eating a filet mignon right now. <laughs> if everything wasn't going to be okay. Uh, And, and so, you know, in, in the, in the reflecting that, you know, as we're all taking stock in um, the things that we've done as, as we all are making the lists of things that we shouldn't have spent money on in the past to project into the future of like, please, if I just get through this universe, a crazy glowing uh, psychedelic eye in the sky if you if you if you let me get through this i'm i'm not gonna eat any more filet mignons ever again what what are the chances that that this stuff's uh going to last say say things i mean i i imagine there's a lot of variables here if everything blows over in may as i we all overreacted to that thing, which I do not believe that's going to happen. Um, uh, but that's going to be a different scenario than if we end up hunkered down for a year uh, and, and we, we all start going outside and this, this happens again and again and again, and it just keeps on cycling. Um, that, 
I mean, if I guess the the upside is if it keeps on cycling, we're all going to be super ripped and uh, <laughs> very fiscally responsible. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but what what do you what do you kind of project? What do you what do you think about what what are you um, what are you interested in seeing how it's going to play out or study um, in the future? Yeah, well, I think like like you said, it's a bit hard to assess for now just because there's so many variables in play. Because I'm, I guess I'm an optimistic at heart, but also it's a bit um, unoptimistic in a way, in the sense that I do think that humans are very good at adapting, and I think I do think that once we go back to any sense of normalcy, I'm I'm curious to see how much what we've been through so far will carry over in the sense that how much people would just revert back to what who or what they used to be because coping mechanisms are all about that basically is that right now like we're going through a situation where we're coping whichever way a best way we can and buying toilet paper is a way of coping is a way of trying to find a sense of restoring control and safety on this crazy situation plus and you I'll, can cuddle with it yeah exactly but even like buying filet mignon when your financial situation is difficult is a way of restoring a sense of control and security and situations by maybe you don't consciously think that but it's like if i can afford it now it means everything's going to be okay um and so uh or it could also be like it's my last chance ever uh there's different ways of approaching it uh but so i do think that like I don't know if it's the best or the worst case scenario, to be honest, but that people will just revert back to normal life and forget that we've ever gone through all of this. Uh, but I do think that if it prolongs for a longer period of time, and especially if, and I don't have wood around me to knock right now, but <laughs> if the supply chain doesn't break down, because I think if supply chains does break down and we start experiencing like real scarcity, like actual scarcity, where we have to start like food rationing and things like that, then I'm, I'm actually wondering if we're going to create psychological consequences similar to what you've seen people that went through like the world wars, um, in the sense that even if we're not literally at war, like there's going to be the same kind of mindset and situation where resources will be scarce, products will be scarce, food might be scarce, especially for instance, if like people who work in the distribution line get sick and there's nobody to harvest fruits and vegetables. And so they'll be there, but we won't have the resources to harvest them and send them out through the supply chain. Yeah. Same thing with like truckers and industry farmers. So, if these is this if this more apocalyptic scenario takes place, which I'm seriously hoping not, uh, then that is where I think we'll start seeing much more um, significant consequences. Because so in my work, what we're always trying to do is distinguish between what we call objective versus subjective scarcity. Um, so as I briefly mentioned before, like objective scarcity would be people that live in poverty, like they're objectively poor, they objectively don't have enough money to uh, meet all their needs. And then subjective scarcity is what most of us are experiencing, where one month business is not as good, you feel a bit financially constrained, but you know that in the future things will be better, or some weeks you're busier, so you feel very time pressed, but you know that in the future hopefully things will get a little bit better. And what I'm feeling right now is a situation that most people are in, especially from like middle class and above, is more the subjective sense that there's not enough things there's not enough products that jobs are dwindling but once we tip over to the objective part for most people and not just people on the lower end uh, of socioeconomic status that's when i think the shift will be happening and i think that's when we might see something a little bit more permanent uh mm. in terms of changing people's uh behavior and psychology mm. I, I i imagine it will you know, there's going to be the, these impacts on on children too. There's going to be a lot of imprinting. Yeah. Um, and 
and and by the way, I, I can't figure out, I've been trying to think of a way to trick you into saying filet mignon one more time <laughs> because I just realized my new favorite thing is when French Canadians say filet mignon. So you might just have to say it for me at some point, but, um, but also, um, I, I, I have, uh, you know, I, I know this, I know this person, um, who was as a small child, they were poor or I guess, you know, had, a um, they certainly weren't well off, um, and had, had like a family had a scarcity mindset. Their father had a business, their business, um, took off um became like uh you know one of the richest people on earth and then this this person that was poor as a kid inherited never worked a day in their life inherited all of this money and but they still they won't throw anything out so they have like warehouses full of like car not like collectors car like uh minivans and like you know just like uh, but like every everything they've ever purchased, they just like will not throw any of it out, even though they're doing quite well. Even though it's just warehouses full of wasting away vehicles that other people could uh, could use, like me, um, for example, or a whole lot of other people. And and so these are these are things that that um, it, I, I am curious about what the imprinting effect of, of this um, will be on people. Yeah, and there is a bit of research on the developmental aspect of scarcity. Um, so people that study, for instance, scarcity more from what's called the life history theory perspective, which comes from evolutionary um, psychology, uh, they do look at how your childhood socioeconomic environment impact your responses to scarcity as when you're an adult, uh, even if as an adult you're not living in the same environment. But I do think there is a big gap right now in the literature in terms of move, moves uh, upwards and downwards, um, in the sense that as far as I know, most of that research has looked more in terms of like whether you used to be rich or poor and whether you're okay financially today but uh, there's less of like looking at the full matrix in the sense that like were you rich or poor when you're young and are you rich or poor now and did you move up or down the whole matrix as you went uh, and so I always feel bad as a researcher when I see these things because um, I always feel like I'm profiting from like bad situations, but I'm kind of like, ooh, there's now a real life experiment going on <laughs> where yeah, if I could yeah. just measure how people are going, where they started, where they ended and measure how everything's going. Well, like, <laughs> we, we need, I mean, I mean, I think it's, I think it's great if people can, can have as much of an opportunity mindset in terms of, in terms of a, so not, not in terms of like, maybe if I hoard a bunch of hand sanitizer, I can sell it for triple the cost or something like that. But, but how, how can we, how can we make the most of this situation? How can, uh, how can we learn the most from, from this situation? Um, how, how can we, you know, better the way that we, that we work and interact with people and build societies you know we're 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 having a unique opportunity for a lot of fresh starts uh on personal levels on cultural levels um education levels every everything and mm -hmm. and so um so yeah i i don't think you should you should feel bad at, uh, for that at all i think everyone should be thanking you for uh for what you do and, and it's a it's a whole lot better than than giving up and uh that learning helplessness isn't going to help any individual or society. Um, 
So just one, one last little question. I, I got to let you go here. I know you're busy. Um, what's your favorite steak? <laughs> uh, not filet mignon. <laughs> ah, hey, hey. Oh, love it. Well, this was a fantastic uh, episode. This is, I mean, wow. I, I'll, I'll tell you, if having, having done you know, nearly 300 episodes in my five and a half years. Um, these are some of the better conversations that I've, that I've had with academics. And I've, I've had a lot of great ones. But so far, just because I love jinxing things, I've had 100% like really fantastic conversations with everyone about this stuff right now. So, so that's, that's an exciting opportunity. I feel like people are letting their guards down a little bit and having more open conversations and, and science. I think it's also that uh, a, more than a lot know. of us wants to feel like we do something that matters. You do. Um, you absolutely do. You should feel that way. So thank you, Caroline Rue, for, for joining me. By the way, is there anything, um, any like social media plugs or any, any way people can reach out uh, to you or maybe I'll just put a link to your website on uh, on the podcast page. Yeah, I guess you can find me on Twitter. We also have uh, actually my co-authors and I curate a, a Twitter account called Scarcity Insight and we also have a Facebook page uh, where we post. Uh, actually, we've been really ramping it up these days with all the uh, COVID-19 stuff, but we post yeah. usually a few times a week uh, articles related to all kinds of uh, all different types of scarcity and uh, research findings and also like a lot of popular press articles um, to make it very accessible um, and so uh, yeah if people want to learn more about that uh, the Facebook page and the uh, scarcity insight account uh, on Twitter are very interesting but I also have my own Twitter account I'm available on LinkedIn uh, so yeah great and make sure and send me those links too in okay. case I forget to ask you um, I'll put them in the description everything but but thank you to Caroline for what you do for joining me today. Well, thank you uh, for having me and for uh, finding what I do relevant. <laughs> it, it very much is. It's terrific and fascinating as well. And thank you listeners for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week. Thanks so much for checking out the show. Remember to check us out on YouTube, where we just started posting videos. You can now see me and my guests. It adds a little something to each episode, and it's been a lot of fun. These conversations have been great. Uh, all I, I already have a bunch of episodes in the bank, so we're hoping to have consistent releases for them. And uh, thanks in part to my my team. We are all working way over time I am uh, I'm working um, you know just about 80 hour uh, weeks now and I have my my full-time assistant Rihanna Andrews uh, you can follow her on Instagram the underscore hippie underscore witch check out some of her lovely art um, Ramin Nazer uh, running the here we are podcast um, dot com website he is um, about my favorite artist on the planet if you haven't checked out any of his stuff I love 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 what he uh, what he does and he has he has new stuff on Instagram basically every day and uh, it's very insightful and timely and um, and and lots of fun so check out Ramin Nazer and uh, and um, I, I uh, special thanks to Jimmy Fro 
for editing this podcast. Uh, go to Jimmy Fro Music Show on iTunes. And um, a whole bunch of uh, support from lots of uh, friends and family and everything else. If you want to, if you have some, um, some downtime, you want to be involved, you want to donate a few hours of your time, got some stuff I can do for uh, you could you could do for the show there's a lot of um, cross promotional stuff with trying to kind of help the universities um, and and stuff spread the word about this show and uh, and we just it's uh, there's a lot of things like that that we just simply don't have the time to do everything so if you find yourself with a lot of time on your hands and you're kind of hunkering down and just waiting waiting this out right now one thing that would help me out uh tremendously is if you could donate a a little time to helping out there if if you want um no big deal just uh thought i'd throw it out there you can go to shane moss m-a-u-s-s.com go to the contact page and email both me and rihanna i'm often way too swamped with emails but one of us will one of us will see it and um and get back to you shortly if you have any ideas of anything um that you may want to do uh to help and other than that um uh you know you can certainly uh support give a give a few dollars uh on on patreon i'm uh you know i'm i have a full team that i'm trying to pay and all of a sudden all of my income got pulled out from under me like so many businesses um right now and so so yeah trying to uh trying to get this all figured out while trying to do more work than ever and i have to say that this is this has been really really inspiring for me to uh to get to talk with all of these academics that are so busy right now and then and then that they're finding the time to talk to me to um to communicate these ideas with the public um and dealing with tech issues and everything else it's just been you know i'm i'm having i'm having a blast recording these this is um this is the the if there was going to be a situation like this this is um the best it could possibly be i'm i'm making the most of it and i hope all of you are are trying to make the most out of your time and um and if you do have to- downtime remember you can always educate yourself at the great courses.com slash here we are or check out audiobooks at libro.fm slash here we are all those links are on the here we are podcast.com website and um i've now canceled my dates through april it looks like may is on the chopping block i'm in a position where i don't really have to cancel dates um anywhere up until like two or three weeks in advance because i don't really start advertising until then anyway so i can uh kind of cross my fingers and and wait and see if there's um some incredible breakthrough or something but i'm uh i'm kind of planning for um planning for the long haul right now and so i'm I'm gonna try to move some things to june again just in case but um i'm i'm kind of 
I'm I'm cautious about speculating about anything, but I'm I'm kind of looking at July uh, right now, unfortunately, in terms of live touring. But this is giving me a big opportunity to increase my digital presence, which I'm uh, really behind on. So when I do get back out on the road, that's going to help a lot. So, so that's something any of you can do if you want to help out the show is um, follow me on on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, spread the word about uh, about what I am doing here, and do the same with all the artists that are that are giving you all this um, all this free content. So um, yeah, uh, I really really appreciate you guys. It is super cool that I get to do this. So those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are of course my favorites. Podcast Network.